everyone, and welcome to episode 28 of the Luna's Galaxy podcast. My name is Emmy, but you can also call me Luna, and I'll be the host of this show. The Luna's Galaxy podcast goes live on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other podcast services on Tuesday every two weeks, except for today, because I was sick, so apologies that this episode has been delayed a few days, but... I mean, it kind of worked out because now we have a lot more gaming news than if I had recorded earlier in the week because we had a Nintendo Direct and a State of Play and some other stuff happened. So it kind of worked out in a way, but yeah, (laughs) thank you for your patience. But anyway, for this episode, we have three segments, gaming news, what I've been playing, and of course, questions. Before we get started, if you would like to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I would greatly appreciate it. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe on YouTube, all that good stuff. Thank you so much. And of course, thank you to my patrons at the Galaxies tier, Stevie and Tolizu, for supporting the show. If you'd like to support my content financially, get a shout out on the show and access to exclusive and early access content, follow the Patreon link in the podcast description to get all that good, juicy stuff. And one last thing before we get started, I have a new video out on YouTube. It is my I the Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative Experience Part 1. This video is sort of like my Twitch highlights from the VODs when I streamed I the Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative. It has all of the game up until uh, Ryuki's kind of section. It has all of Ryuki's section, essentially, of the game. In that, it is, it's kind of long, but I would like to think that it's kind of fun, so (laughs) be sure to watch that if that sounds interesting. There is going to be at least another two parts for that sort of Nirvana Initiative experience series, so stay tuned for that. But anyway, let's get on to some gaming news. So the first thing for gaming news, we had the Disney and Marvel Showcase, and I talked about this on the last episode because it had just been announced, and I mean, (laughs) this didn't really need to exist. There wasn't much here. There was a lot of mobile games and a lot of pretty mid games. There was nothing for myself personally, and I know a lot of people on Twitter were like, oh, why did this even happen? The reception was not good overall. But one thing did catch my eye, and that is Disney Dreamlike Valley. So it is out now in early access. I think it's like $40 Canadian. I don't know. you Your currency, I don't know what it is, but it's like $40 Canadian. And that early access is, I think, on all platforms. So Xbox, Switch, PlayStation, I think Steam, all that stuff. And so the game is going to be going free to play sometime in 2023. So I'm not going to be playing it until it's free to play because I'm really cheap. But this game looks really good. Um... And I've been seeing a lot of, like, videos of it and just stuff online about it since the game's come out in early access. People are really enjoying it. I think I will really enjoy it when it becomes free to play. (laughs) But they showed off that there's going to be new Toy Story content coming to the game. And that looked really cool. So I'm pretty excited for that once I get to play that game. Um, I think I'm going to enjoy it. But yeah, I'm I'm waiting. (laughs) And then the big, big news. So we had a Nintendo Direct and a State of Play on the same day, which is wild. So Nintendo announced their Direct first, and then I think it was a few hours later, PlayStation announced that they're going to be having a State of Play. And it was like, whoa. So the Nintendo Direct was in the morning, and then in the afternoon slash evening, wherever you are, we had the State of Play. So it was a a pretty crazy day, if I do say so myself. 
And so let's get into the Nintendo Direct news first, since that was first. <laughs> so the Direct opened with Fire Emblem Engage, and this is a new mainline Fire Emblem game, and I thought it looked pretty cool. Um, I feel like I need to see more of it for sure. Um, there was older characters, so Marth was there. It looked like you could summon older Fire Emblem characters. The only one I really noticed was Marth, but I'm assuming there will probably be more. <laughs> and it looks good. Like, aesthetics and graphics-wise, I do think it looks better than Three Houses. Um, which isn't to say that Three Houses looks bad, because when I played Three Houses, I was like, okay, this is fine. But, like, before I played it, when I would just see screenshots online, I would be like, oh, this does not... <laughs> look that great. So I think purely aesthetics wise, Fire Emblem Engage kind of looks better. But yeah, I'm excited to see more of it. It's coming out January 2023, which is like really soon. I love this thing that Nintendo is doing lately where it seems like they're announcing games between like six months to like a year before they come out. I fucking love it. I mean, obviously Legend of Zelda, the new Legend of Zelda game, um, that's a different story. That's, we've known about that for many years now, but generally speaking, a lot of Nintendo's new games that they're working on, we don't find out until very close to release. And I just, more companies, please take note because it's so, it's just so refreshing to see a trailer and know that the game is going to come out and also know that, you know, you're not waiting, you know, over two years for it. It's coming out within the next few months to a year. I just, I love that so much. Thank you so much, Nintendo. Um, and so after that, there's a new Fatal Frame game coming to Switch next year. And I haven't played any Fatal Frame games, but they have been catching my eye. So if any of y'all have played Fatal Frame before, let me know what you think because I kind of want to check it out. I don't know if this new one that they announced the Direct is going to be like a good starting point. I really don't know much, but... Whenever I see the trailers, I think that it looks cool. <laughs> so I really want to try out one of these games at some point. And October is coming up. October is upon us. So maybe that'll be a game that I check out. And there were a lot of farming games in this direct. There's been a lot of memes <laughs> on like Twitter and stuff about all of the farming games. But like, honestly, I really liked it, which I mean, and I don't even play many like farming games to be fair. But to me, it was more refreshing than, you know, a lot of Jeff Keighley's stuff this year where it was just space games. So I don't know. There seems to be something with space games and farm games in the industry right now. But I would much rather see farming games than space games. That's just my personal taste. But anyway, so one of them was Story of Seasons, A Wonderful Life. And this news wasn't like shown off in the direct, but it came out afterwards just on Twitter and stuff that you can be non-binary and you can romance anyone regardless of whatever gender you choose to play as. So that's very cool. Love to see that. And I think like those sort of farming simulation games are really good in that way in that, you know, it really is about the player experience. So I think having as many options there as possible, you know, for romancing a character or, you know, what gender you can be. I think it's fantastic. So, shout out to Story of Seasons, A Wonderful Life for that representation. Thank you. And then Octopath Traveler 2 is has been announced and that's going to be releasing February 2023. So, another one that's coming up pretty soon and within the next six months. And so, I played the demo for the first Octopath Traveler. 
I, I want to say, yeah, it was when I first got my Switch because I remember I didn't have any games for it. <laughs> and so I was like, I'll just download this demo because it was like one of the only Switch games that I even knew existed. And it was okay. Should I like play it? Because I know, I feel like from what I've heard about Octopath Traveler, some people really love it and some people are just like, well, it's kind of mid. So I don't know. I'm, I'm interested. Maybe I should like see if I can play more of the demo. I don't know if I can. <laughs> Maybe I should see if I should, if I can do that and maybe get the game. I don't know. It's just one of those things where Switch games are more expensive than, you know, buying a game on PlayStation for the most part, because PlayStation games, you can get on sale for like 20 bucks and then Switch. I mean, you know, so it's a bit more, I have to be more picky with where I spend my money, but yeah, I know a lot of people are really happy about Octopath Traveler 2, so hell yeah. And they showed off Fae Farm, which is another farming game, <laughs> which looked like it also had some RPG elements. And what I liked about this trailer, other than just the aesthetics that was really cute, was that the characters have like little wings and they didn't, they didn't for the entirety of the trailer. It looked like just during the RPG moments, um, when you're like exploring, it looked like they had like little fairy wings, which was really cute. <laughs> so might might check that out I don't know there's a lot of farming stuff and I mean Harvest Stella is the one that I'm the most interested in so we'll see but I I'm will I become a farming will I become a farmer <laughs> I don't know anyway so one very exciting uh, announcement from this direct for myself personally was that we're going to be getting a new Final Fantasy theater rhythm game and so a few episodes ago when I talked about sort of the 3DS and some of my favorite games on 3DS, I talked a lot about Final Fantasy Theater Rhythm Curtain Call. I fucking love that game. I think it is so good. It's one of my favorite rhythm games. And it has such a wide selection of songs from Final Fantasy. I loved the gameplay with like the stylus, touchscreen, all that. I thought it was fantastic. I love that game so much. Um, I played a lot of that game. And I talked about how, you know, this is one of the only games, you know, from 3DS that I really enjoyed that hasn't had, you know, either like a sequel on Switch or a remaster or a port on Switch and how, you know, that would be nice. <laughs> and honestly, I didn't really think we'd get one. So this was like a very surprising announcement that made me very, very excited. So we're getting a new Theater of Them game. It's called Theater of Them Barline. And it's coming out February 2023. So once again, it's coming out, you know, relatively soon within the next six months. And it has 385 Final Fantasy songs. And I I can't remember, I don't know the exact number that Curtain Call had, but I assume it's, I'm assuming right now that's going to be all of the songs from Curtain Call, plus, you know, some additional songs, mostly from newer entries. So Curtain Call, I believe the latest game they had was like Lightning Returns slash Final Fantasy 14. I can't remember whatever one of those came out last, but it was around that time period. Um, so there wasn't like Final Fantasy 15 music. They didn't have anything from the Final Fantasy 14 like expansions or anything. And so, you know, playing it now, you're like, oh, this would be better with like Final Fantasy 15 songs. And so in the trailer, at least we know <laughs> that there's going to be some of those newer songs. So um, just from stuff that I've seen online, not just in the trailer, but also on the official Theater of Them website, there's going to be some songs from up to, <laughs> up 
Final Fantasy VII Remake, which was, like, very recent. I believe I also saw Strangers of Paradise. There's some songs from there as well, which is, like, so cool. <laughs> I am so happy that we're getting these new songs. Um, Final Fantasy XV, all that stuff. And so I assume that's going to be, a, like, the bulk of the new songs. I, I assume they're not going to add too much from, like, you know, the stuff that was already in Curtain Call, because that's already a really big <laughs> track list. But we are getting stuff from newer Final Fantasy games, which is super exciting. And, ah, we're also getting DLC tracks from other games like Nier. I believe they also said, like, Chrono Trigger, Live Alive, and a few other games. And so that's just, that's really cool. <laughs> um, they definitely seem to care more about this rhythm game than they did with Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory. But honestly... I mean, I've said this before, Melody of Memory, to me, wasn't a great rhythm game. I love rhythm games. Melody of Memory just never clicked with me. And, you know, I really love theater rhythm, so I'm kind of glad, like, if any game was going to get this treatment, that it is theater rhythm. Um, they also announced a digital deluxe edition, which features 27 extra songs and all the DLC, which, you know, sounds good. But as far as I can tell online right now, there's no way to get those extra 27 songs with the Digital Deluxe Edition if you buy the game physically, which seems really weird to me. Um, I don't know if there's going to be some sort of update on that, if that's going to change, if we're going to get new information about that anytime soon. But this pisses me off because I want to get a physical version of this game, but <laughs> I also really want the digital deluxe edition because I want to get all the DLC tracks because I really like this game. So I don't know how that's going to go, unfortunately. Um, I, I feel like digital deluxe editions are one of the worst things genuinely to happen to the games industry because a lot of us like getting our games physical and we don't want to be punished for buying them physically because, you know, a lot of the times, like, on the PS4, the only way that you could get, like, a certain PS4 theme would be to buy a digital deluxe edition if you bought it physically. You know, there was no way to get that theme. You know, it wasn't available for purchase on PSN. It didn't come with, like, some sort of redeemable code within the physical version of the game. And that shit really pisses me off because, like, it just feels like you're punishing people for no reason. And I know that developers get more money through digital sales. And that's probably, you know, they're trying to incentivize that. But it really rubs me the wrong way. I really don't like when games withhold content for a digital release that you literally cannot get any other way if you buy it physically because like I wouldn't even mind paying extra to get those you know DLC songs that are only available in the digital version but whatever I guess um and this is also coming out on PS4 I believe so I don't know maybe I will buy <laughs> like the digital deluxe version on PS4 and then get a physical version on Switch. I don't know. I can always do something like that. But it's just irritating to even have to think about that because, I mean, I am going to want the Platinum <laughs> since it is releasing on PlayStation. So I am probably going to get it on PlayStation, but I'm just... That's frustrating. And it also has online multiplayer. So I don't think that the 3DS version had any form of online multiplayer. If it did, I never got to, to do it. So yeah, <laughs> I didn't have any friends or, you know, anyway. But I am 
curious with how this will play on Switch because I believe that the 3DS version did have um, button controls as well as the touchscreen controls, but I only ever use the touchscreen controls because, I mean, those, I just prefer touchscreen controls for rhythm games. I think it's why a lot of my favorite rhythm games are mobile because they're just touchscreen. I really like that sort of form of rhythm games. And I think that's another reason why maybe Melody and Memory didn't click with me as much, even though, I mean, I really like the Persona dancing games, which don't have touch controls. But anyway, so I am curious how it will play, like if not being able to use touch controls is going to make it a worse game for me. That is one thing I'm kind of worried about, but we'll just have to wait and see. I'm very, very excited for this game. And if you are a Final Fantasy fan or if you like rhythm games, I like, I very highly recommend this game, even though it hasn't come out yet because Curtain Call was so good and just do yourself a favor. There's so many songs, so many songs and so many good songs as well. Like to me, Final Fantasy has a much stronger catalog of music than Kingdom Hearts, which I think is another downfall of Melody and Memory, unfortunately, is that a lot of the songs just don't really hit, <laughs> especially like some of the Disney ones. But anyway, I think you will enjoy theater rhythm bar line if you're a Final Fantasy fan or a rhythm game fan or both, especially if you're both. And I know I'm really excited, probably going to get it day one. So yeah, that was a really cool announcement for myself personally. And in other news, um, we got some information about the Nintendo Switch Online expansion pack getting more games. And so a lot of the ones that they announced were Mario Party. We're getting quite a few Mario Party games coming to that service. But the one that caught my eye was GoldenEye 007 is coming to the service and it's going to have online multiplayer. So this is really cool. I'm sure a lot of people are really excited about this. This is also coming to Xbox and I just, it's interesting to me because like I never had a Nintendo 64 growing up. I had like my babysitter had Nintendo 64 and so even though I didn't have it myself, all of my memories with the Nintendo 64 are like with other people and one of those memories is playing GoldenEye 007 as a child. <laughs> so I do have those memories with it. I remember being like so kind of confused because I'd never played a game like that before. And so, I mean, I think it'll be fun just to play it for like 10 minutes for the nostalgia factor of it. I don't know if I'll really get into it, if many people will really get into it, you know, after they have that initial nostalgia moment. But I think it's really cool regardless, because from what I've gathered, it's been kind of difficult to, I don't know if it's like port or remaster this game or something like that, but Anyway, I don't, I don't know too much about it, but this is cool. So anyway, moving on. And then Various Daylife was announced and this is a mobile game on Apple Arcade, I believe. It's Square Enix and it got ported to Switch and it's out now. Um, I don't, I don't know much about it. <laughs> I like kind of caught my eye, but I don't know. I don't know about this one, but it did catch my eye. So I will say that. And another announcement is that Ebe is coming to Switch. And how they pronounce it, they didn't say it as Ebe in the direct. I think they might have said it as Ibe, but that also sounds wrong. I don't know. Ebe is coming to Switch, but I don't think they pronounced it as Ebe in the direct. 
So if you haven't heard of Eve, I played this game last year. It is an RPG maker horror game where you play as this young girl named Eve, and her parents take her to this museum and things kind of go wrong and it becomes a horror game. And I really love this game. The music in this game is really good. Y'all know me, I love RPG maker horror games. And so if that sounds like at all your thing, I highly recommend checking it out. It is one of my favorite RPG maker horror games. I definitely think it's one of the better ones. It is one of the more story heavy ones, I would say, out of the ones that I've played. And so I really like Eve. I'm really excited that's coming to Switch. I believe the version that is coming to Switch is also um, like the remake that came to Steam, I want to say. Um, so I played the older version of Eve. I haven't played the remake remaster. And so I'm probably going to get this on Switch. I'm pretty excited for it. Really love this game. And yeah, you should also play it. <laughs> it's really good. Then next, we got a sneak peek at some new Mario Kart 8 Deluxe DLC tracks. And so one of them looked like it was Christmas themed and it's coming from Mario Kart Tour. And then the other one that we got a sneak peek at was Peach Gardens from the DS. And I don't know why they didn't just reveal the entire lineup for this next uh, booster course track release because it's going to be releasing, they said, holiday this year. So it's like, I don't know why they're hiding what those other tracks are. It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> I like the other six tracks, like you're only going to show off two. I don't know. That, that seemed weird to me. Maybe they're still working on them. I don't know. It feels weird that they didn't just say, here's the whole lineup for the next DLC. But anyway, still cool. Still looking forward to it. More Mario Kart during the holiday season. Very nice. And then we got to see some more Harvestella and there's a demo out now. So that's very exciting. I'm so happy that we're seeing a resurgence of demos <laughs> in video games. And so I have downloaded the demo. I have played like a very small portion of it. And I mean, if you're at all interested in Harvestella, like I have been since it's been announced, then check out the demo because I believe you can play up to chapter two or up to a certain amount of days played in the game. So check it out if you're all interested. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the full game, but for now I've been, you know, picking at the demo. Want to play more of that today after I finish recording. So hell yeah for that. And another game that got shown off <laughs> was Master Detective Archives Rain Code. And if you haven't heard of this game, this is being made essentially by the same team that did Danganronpa. So you have the same uh, composer. You have, I think, Kodaka's working on it. So the same director slash writer, um, a lot of the same artists, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of the same people working that did Danganronpa working on this game. And it looks good. I like, I, you all know I have mixed feelings about Danganronpa, but I'm, I'm optimistic about this game. I like how it's being presented so far, you know, just from what we've seen in the trailer, um, getting to explore and, you know, it's kind of hard to, uh, see much of what this game is going to be like so far. Um, but I, I want to be optimistic. <laughs> um, my main hope is that there's certain Danganronpa-isms, <laughs> 
that don't carry through to this game, like, you know, sexualizing minors and all that other weird shit that Danganronpa has done throughout the years that make me uncomfortable and make a lot of people uncomfortable. I hope that, you know, fingers crossed they can leave some of that stuff behind and just make a good game. <laughs> so I, I definitely need to see more of it, but I am interested. I am very interested. Oh, <sighs> so many announcements in this direct. So we got to see more of Crisis Core Reunion, which is very exciting. And we finally got a release date. It's going to be releasing December 13th of this year. So initially when they announced this, they said it was going to be coming out this winter. And, you know, I think everyone was like, okay, December. But obviously this winter could mean January or February or, you know, whatever. We're not just limited to December. Um, and so I'm very excited that it is releasing in December and also like pretty early in December. Um, I'm very excited for this game. I love Crisis Core so much. <laughs> I'm, I mean, this was shown off the, at the Direct, but I am probably gonna buy it on PlayStation because I like trophies. <laughs> and I also, I mean, it's gonna play better. It's gonna look better on PlayStation. So that's what we're doing. But I mean, who knows? Maybe I'll end up buying it on Switch as well just to have it handheld because I really like this game. It is a comfort game, so to speak. <laughs> and so... I'm very excited for that, December 13th, uh -huh. and I mean, I said this when it got announced, and you know, during 7 Remake and all this stuff, I'm still not used to Zack's new voice actor. Honestly, I feel like it's making me, like, I almost feel like it sounded a bit worse in this trailer. Um, he just, he, I don't know, like, most of the Final Fantasy 7 Remake recasts that they did have been so good if not better than the original cast, no offense, <laughs> but, you know, I think Zack is genuinely one of the best characters in the Final Fantasy VII universe, and a lot of people love him, he's so beloved, and it just sucks that so many people don't, like, it's not just me, but that so many people just aren't clicking with his new voice actor in the same way that they have with a lot of the other characters, it just, he, he doesn't sound like Zack, <laughs> And it's, I don't know. I, I want to get used to it, but I don't think I'm ever going to get used to it. So I just have to accept that at this point. But we also got to see Cisne. So Cisne is a Final Fantasy VII character that is, I believe, only in Crisis Core. She's also in Before Crisis, I want to say. But we don't even, we don't want to talk about Before Crisis. Um... <laughs> But she's mainly playing a role in Crisis Core, and it's really exciting to see her again because she is so pretty. And, you know, maybe, fingers crossed, maybe we'll get to see her in, you know, 7 Remake Part 2. What was that called again? Rebirth? Is that what they're calling it? I can't remember. <laughs> I would like to see more of Cisne because I really like her in Crisis Core, so it was nice to see her in the trailer as well. Um, Very, very exciting. I'm very excited to play this and hopefully stream it. Very exciting. And then the next announcement was that Tales of Symphonia is getting a remaster on Switch. And so, if y'all have watched me stream Tales of Symphonia, almost every stream that I played that game, I said this would be a perfect game for Switch. I don't understand why Tales of Symphonia is not on Switch yet, because, like, the vibe is just perfect for Switch. So I've been saying this for months, and it finally got announced that they are remastering it, which like, perfect, <laughs> perfect, but I'm, like, almost a bit pissed off because I, like, bought it on Switch, or not on Switch, on Steam, 
and I played so much of it on Steam. And I don't like playing games on Steam, okay? But it was the only way that I could play it. And so, like, I didn't have a choice because I wanted to play Tales of Symphonia. But anyway, so now it's going to be coming to Switch. And I'm just like, damn, if only I had waited, then I could have played this game on Switch. I would have enjoyed it so much more. <laughs> and at this point, I probably put in, like, 20-ish hours into Tales of Symphonia on Steam. So it's like, I don't want to do all that again on Switch. <gasps> oh, it's just frustrating. So I don't know. I might eventually pick up this game because I'm going to be honest, I don't think I'm going to finish it on Steam just because I don't like playing games on Steam. So, you know, we'll see. But, I mean, good for y'all. <laughs> I just wish I had waited because it, it's a perfect Switch game. So if you haven't played Tales of Symphonia, you're at all interested, I do highly recommend it because, like I said, it's perfect for Switch. I think that the vibes are perfect for Switch. I think you'll really enjoy it if you like RPGs or, you know, the Tales of series, whatever. Check it out. I just wish that I had waited <laughs> for the Switch release and not, you know, started on Steam. But anyway, I'm just being petty. And the last thing that they showed off in the direct was Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which is releasing in May of 2023. And so a lot of us saw this coming. You know, we knew that we're going to see more Legend of Zelda at some point. A lot of people were thinking it's going to come out next year and it has been confirmed. And we also obviously got the official title, which isn't just the sequel to Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. It is officially Tears of the Kingdom. And there's a lot of jokes on Twitter about this because Nintendo... <laughs> didn't want to live stream the direct um, in the UK because of the Queen's death. And a lot of people were like, that's weird. <laughs> and there were so many jokes about, oh, it's probably because the new Legend of Zelda game is called Tears of the Kingdom. Meanwhile, everyone is like warning the Queen. Anyway, so that's exciting. We didn't get to see much of it, unfortunately. But I, I mean, I was just content to have, you know, the title of it and a release date. So whatever. I'm sure we will see more of it before it releases. And honestly, I don't really know if I need to see more of it because in my mind, it's just more Breath of the Wild. And I think that that's fine. And I'm, you know, looking forward to it. I don't think, I don't know. I don't feel like I need to see much more of it. TBH. But anyway, so now let's get into the state of play. So there was a lot less in this. So there, that Nintendo Direct was bulky. That was like one of the best Nintendo Directs for myself personally, just perfect for my taste. But anyway, everyone take notes. So then we had the state of play, which was later on in the day, and this was about 20 minutes long, and there wasn't as much for myself personally in here, but it was still really good. I still enjoyed my time watching it. I didn't feel like they wasted my time. And at the end of the day, I feel like that is the best way to go about these presentations, is I like when they don't waste my time, when they're, you know, between that 20 to 50 minute uh, mark. <laughs> And there's not a bunch of filler and it's just, you know, game, game, game. And they don't waste my time. That's just perfect. I'm still kind of bitter about Gamescom and Summer Games Fest and pretty much Jeff Keighley shows. Like, let's be honest. Um, I hope that the Game Awards is better this year. But anyway, what I'm saying is that the state of play was also good. And so some announcements here that I really enjoyed was Like a Dragon Ishin remake. And so this is a Yakuza game. And so this is the first time this game is coming to the West, which is so exciting. 
And so with this, we also kind of have started this thing where the Yakuza series is getting rebranded as like a dragon. And I don't know how I feel about it because I almost feel like Yakuza as a series has very, very recently become maybe not like a pinnacle, but a lot more popular in the West and has really made a name for itself in these past few years, kind of starting with Yakuza 0 and then I think especially with Yakuza 7, Like a Dragon, um, it's become a lot more popular, it's become more ingrained in gaming culture, not just in the East, but also in the West, which is very exciting, I really love these games, and so it feels weird that now they're (laughs) rebranding to Like a Dragon, um, because it feels like Yakuza is just so well known and, you know, has become iconic in a way, at least to me. And so it feels weird that they're rebranding this. I'm probably going to keep calling, you know, Yakuza, Yakuza. I'm going to call Like a Dragon 8, Yakuza 8. Like, that's just, I don't, I don't do well with change. But anyway, we're getting Like a Dragon Ishin remake. And I honestly don't know much about this game, but I'm going to play it. (laughs) So this is also coming early February, 2023, which like, February 2023 is looking stacked right now for me. Got Theater Rhythm. We got this. Um, what was it? There was another game. There's another game that was coming up. I don't know. There was another game in the direct that I can't remember right now, but you just listened to me talk about it and I already don't remember. But anyway, early 2023 is looking great in January of Fire Emblem. Anyway. And then some other games that they showed off in the state of play that I thought looked cool were Sin Duality, Stellar Blade, which was formerly Project Eve, and then Rise of Ronin. They look cool. Um, not much to say about them. I feel like, you know, maybe I'll play them sometime. <laughs> but they're not they're not day one bias for me by any means, but I am interested in them. And that was pretty much it for the state of play. And then we had the RGG Studio Summit. And so if you don't know, RGG Studio is the studio that does the Yakuza games, the Judgment games, all that stuff. Really love them. Really love their work. <laughs> and so in that, we got Like a Dragon 8 announced. So Yakuza 8. And this is going to be releasing in 2024. And this is going to be following Ichiban, who is the protagonist of Yakuza 7, Like a Dragon, and Kiryu. And so I... Y'all know I've played Yakuza 0 up until Yakuza 3. I want to get to Yakuza 4, like, pretty soon. But anyway, I haven't sort of finished Kiryu's saga, which ends at Yakuza 6. So, I mean, I don't know the story, the plot relevance of all this. (laughs) No idea. But I'm so excited that Kiryu is back. I love Kiryu so much. I think he is such a good protagonist. I really love seeing his development and character throughout these games. I think that he is a staple to the Yakuza series, and so I'm so excited. I'm so happy that Kiryu is back, which, like, I haven't played Yakuza 7 like a dragon yet, and I know a lot of people love Ichiban, and, you know, they love, you know, sort of all the changes that they did with like a dragon, and I'm sure when I get to it, I will also enjoy it, but Kiryu just holds such a special place in my heart. (laughs) And now that I know we're not completely moving on from Kiryu, I feel a bit better, you know? I feel like I'm back at home again with Kiryu. Like, he is my man. He is the one that I come home to every day. (laughs) And Ichiban's kind of like a side piece or something. Anyway, y'all know what I'm trying to say. I really like Kiryu. I'm really glad that he's back. And then... (laughs) We got another game announced, which is Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name, which is a 
Kiryu game. So and this is set after Yakuza 6, but before Like a Dragon. So Yakuza 7, I believe. <laughs> like I said, I don't know the story. I don't know Yakuza past the point of Yakuza 3. No idea what's going on. But I'm so happy to see more of Kiryu. And I believe this is going to be a shorter game. Um, but anyway, I'm just so happy <laughs> to see Kiryu. So that was very exciting. Very exciting moment for me anyway. So that is all the news that we have for this episode. So let's talk about what I've been playing. So I finished Last Window, Secret of Cape West. This is a game for the DS. I've talked about it on here before. It's a sequel to Hotel Dusk, Room 215. Um, is a visual novel, it's mystery, all that stuff, and I really loved Hotel Dust, that was my favorite game that I played last year, and so I had to play Last Window, and I started this in, like, February, <laughs> and then I dropped it for a long time, and then I just finished it, like, last week, and I enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy it as much as Hotel Dusk, unfortunately, um, and I think the main reasoning for that is the characters, the characters are still pretty good in Last Window. You know, they feel very real, which was one of my favorite things about Hotel Dusk was that all the characters felt like real people. <laughs> um, just the way that they're, like, animated and drawn and the way that they talk, they feel very real. That was my one of my biggest sort of praises for Hotel Dusk. And Last Window is very similar in that way. However, I just didn't find myself as personally invested in the characters. So when I played Hotel Dusk, um, I really, really loved, like, Rosa and Louis. Louis was my favorite. Fucking loved him. And Dunning. I thought that they were just great characters. I really loved them. I hated leaving them at the end of the game. And so Last Window, I didn't really feel that way about any of the characters. I enjoyed them, but there wasn't anyone where I was like, I love you so much the same way that I was with like Louie or that I was like really interested and invested in their personal stories like I was with, you know, Rosa or Dunning. And so I think that that's the main thing for me because, you know, the core mystery of Last Window is still pretty good, but I just, I, I liked the characters in Hotel Dusk a lot more and I think that really made that game for me, whereas with Last Window, I find the characters a bit weaker. Although I did really like some characters like Marie and Mrs. Patrice um, and Sydney. They were all, I really liked them, but they never quite hit <laughs> at the same level as those Hotel Dust characters, which is pretty unfortunate. But it's still a good game if you're all interested. But I mean, I recommend Hotel Dusk, and if you really love Hotel Dusk, play Last Window. But you just gotta play Hotel Dusk. That's sort of my takeaway from it. <laughs> but anyway, so another game that I've been playing is Life is Strange True Colors. And I started this um, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. It was after the last podcast came out. But anyway, I started Life is Strange True Colors. And right now I'm at the beginning of chapter five. So I'm like almost done of the game. And it's good. Like, there's this weird thing. So I got into Life is Strange when I was a teenager probably when I was like 15, 16, I can't remember exactly, but that was when I first played the first Life is Strange game, and I loved it. I love that game so much. Even then, you know, you're listening to the characters, and you're like, oh, this dialogue can be like kind of cringy, <laughs> like, but I really love the core of that game, the story, the characters, all that stuff. Really love the first Life is Strange. Very special place in my heart, and I'm just, I like, within the first probably 15 minutes of playing True Colors, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, have I 
outgrown Life is Strange as a series because it just wasn't pulling me in in the same way that the first game did or even really that Before the Storm did. Um, Before the Storm is a lot weaker than the first game, but I still was invested to a degree and maybe that's just, you know, it's a direct continuation of the first game or like prequel, but whatever. But I just, there's something about True Colors where I was like, I feel like I should be enjoying this a lot more than I am. And I still kind of feel that way, unfortunately. Um, but it was kind of weird um, getting back into Life is Strange. And I forgot how much you can interact with, like, the items in the environments. So, like, the first time that you can do that in True Colors is during the flower shop and you can, like, walk around. And, like, you can, like look at the flowers and Alex will say like this one liner and I was like oh my god like I'm playing life is strange <laughs> like I really forgot about those sort of life is strange isms that <laughs> are in there and so I mean there's that <laughs> but yeah the characters still talk weird I, I thought that this would be better by now now that we've had quite a few life is strange games and so the way, so I wrote about this in my weekly gaming journal. If you are supporting me on Patreon, you might have read this already. But the way that I would describe how Life is Strange characters talk is that they kind of talk like theater kids that are always trying to like be funny or be really witty about something. Um, that's how a lot of the younger, so like the sort of teenage or like young adult characters in Life is Strange talk. It is... I mean, I'm a theater kid, so, like, no offense if you're also a theater kid, but that's, that's what it reminds me of. It's, like, a very specific vibe, or, like, you know, if you're, like, scrolling through Tinder and someone's bio says, like, this really witty joke where you can tell, like, they're just trying, like, a bit too hard. They're trying a bit too hard to grab your attention. Like, that's what Life is Strange dialogue kind of feels like. Um, <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of it. I will say my favorite part of the game so far has been chapter one, which is like kind of weird because chapter one, you want it to like pull you in. And, you know, I think that's a good strong moment to have in a game is the beginning. You know, you don't want to be playing a game for like 20 hours before it gets good. So chapter one is the strongest point of the game for me. That's the one that's probably going to stick with me the most. Um, but I have mixed feelings about that because I played the entirety of chapters two to four and they just don't hit the same. Um, I wasn't overly invested. There's some good moments, but I just, I'm not getting into it in the way that I would have liked to. And so if you watched any of the marketing leading up to Life is Strange True Colors, you'll know that Alex Chen has a superpower as Life is Strange does. And her superpower is being an empath, which like... <laughs> I remember just kind of like laughing over this when it got announced. <laughs> I still kind of do. It works in the game, but it is still maybe like a bit cheesy. I don't know. Um, I, li I like how they implement it, but at the same time, I'm like, ah. Anyway, I, it's weird. I have a weird relationship with this game so far, and I wish that the trailers leading up to this game didn't spoil so much. Um, if you watch the trailers, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you haven't, you know, watched any trailers for Life is Strange True Colors and you're interested in it, um, don't watch the trailers because I think that you will enjoy the game, uh, chapter one specifically, a lot more if you don't, if you don't know anything going into it. I think that, you know, I knew things were going to happen 
and it ruined a bit of it for me. Maybe ruin is a bit strong, but I just remember kind of being like, mm, I know this is how this is going to go. I don't know how I feel about it. I wish I didn't know this was going to happen. It's like when you watch a trailer for a Square Enix game, their like launch date trailer, and you're like, oh, why'd they show that? And I mean, Life is Strange is published by Square Enix, so that's... Anyway. <laughs> so, I am romancing Steph. <laughs> and just to talk a tiny bit about some of the characters, I really like uh, Jed. Jed's my favorite character so far. I think he's great. And Ryan and Jed. Ryan is the other romantic option. Um, I think, in my mind, Ryan and Jed are Canadian. And I know that they're not, but they both wear flannel. And Ryan references Celine Dion at some point. Um, there's, there's just other things. Like, Ryan loves, like, nature and shit. He just... I'm like, that's a Canadian man. And I know he's not. <laughs> but he looks Canadian. He acts Canadian. I'm just like, you're Canadian, even though he's not. That's, like, a weird, weird thing. But that was... <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and another thing I want to touch on is that I feel like the older characters... Um, feels so much more natural than the younger ones. So I already talked about, you know, how the younger ones talk like theater kids. But the older characters, to me, feel more real. You know, they remind me, you know, if, like, if, like, one of my dad's friends came over to my house and was, like, joking with me or something. Like, that's how the characters talk. Like, it feels very natural. It feels like how someone would talk to me if they were older. If that Does that make sense? Anyway, they feel more real, and maybe that's just that the people working on the game are older. It comes more naturally to them to write that way. They've had more experience, you know, talking to older people. Like, I used to work at Canadian Tire <laughs> when I was, like, a teenager. And, you know, Canadian Tire customers are usually, <laughs> like, middle-aged older men. And, you know, the middle-aged older men in Life is Strange games tend to have the most realistic dialogue. And I think that's another reason why I really like Jed. Anyway, the decisions in this game also stress me out sometimes because um, there's never really a right or wrong answer. And, like, here's another... <laughs> I'm, I'm being a bit nitpicky, but people said about the first Life is Strange games, and a lot of these uh, games in general where you can make decisions, at the end of the day, your decisions don't matter that much. Like, you're going to get a pretty similar ending no matter what. And I don't really agree with that for the most part because... Um, you know, it's more so about the journey leading up to it than, you know, the ending and, you know, those little changes that you see and, like, how characters interact with you and stuff. And so I don't mind that. That's not a criticism I have for the most part in Life is Strange games. But there is one decision at the beginning of the game that feels pretty useless because it it's one that should change and alter events, but it doesn't. And that, I didn't like that very much. Um, if you want to know more of my thoughts on Life is Strange True Colors, uh, mostly like spoiler stuff because I'm trying to edit out any potentially spoilers here. Um, if you are supporting me on Patreon, I did a weekly gaming journal all about chapter one. And when I finish the game, I'm going to do, you know, same thing for like the entire game. Some of my like spoilery thoughts and stuff. So if that sounds interesting to you, consider supporting me on Patreon. <laughs> I'd really appreciate it. But, I mean, overall, I feel like this game might be a bit overrated. <laughs> Which, like, sucks to say because I really want to enjoy it more than I do. But I'm, I don't know, have I outgrown Life is Strange? Maybe. I'm still interested in playing the other Life is Strange games that I haven't yet. But I just, I don't know. 
I don't know. It's not, it's not getting me so far in the same way that the first game did. And also, I forgot to mention this. I feel like the music isn't as good. And that's also a very core part of Life is Strange for me is licensed music soundtracks. And I just, True Colors is not hitting the same (laughs) when it comes to the soundtrack for myself anyway. Life is Strange has these cool moments where it's almost like AMVs where, you know, things will be happening. It'll be showing different characters at different locations. And, you know, it's it's almost like an AMV. <laughs> it's like a music video. And, you know, I have licensed songs. And it's those are some of my favorite moments in Life is Strange. One of my favorite moments in the first Life is Strange game is, like, the ending chapters. The end of chapter one when Obstacles plays. Or the end of chapter two when another song plays. Um, in Mount Washington, I think, is a song that plays at the end of chapter two. But, like, those moments in Life is Strange games... I really love them. You know, the very ending of Life is Strange when Spanish Sahara plays. Those are some of my favorite moments. And True Colors does not have that. <laughs> it has one moment and the song didn't hit the same for me. Um, it's just, that's, I wish there was more of that. And I think that it's a bit weaker in that regard as well. But anyway, I have, I've, I've rambled a bit too long about Life is Strange True Colors. <sighs> Moving on. I got the Astros Playroom Platinum, which was easy peasy. I had most of the trophies already because I played it earlier this year when I got my PS5. And yeah, I got my Platinum. And I also started tracking my Platinums on Twitter. I made a little thread for it. So I'll update y'all if I get any more Platinums. But yeah, Astros Playroom Platinum, easy peasy. And the last thing I want to talk about is I have been playing the Harvestella demo, as I mentioned earlier. I haven't played really long of it, maybe like 40 minutes, if that. Um, I really love the aesthetics in Harvestella so far. So the art style of like the sprites, I think is absolutely gorgeous. And I'm also really enjoying the music. And oddly enough, the music kind of reminds me of Tinkerbell for the DS, which I talked about last episode. (laughs) Um, It just has this feeling to it where it's like kind of magical, kind of like cottage core. It's very good. I really like the music in this game so far. Um, the farming seems to be cool so far. The, like, battling stuff seems a bit weird. I feel like I have to do more of that. But, you know, I'm intrigued by the story as well, which was something, I mean, I was always intrigued by, you know, the whole idea of this quietest season. But, you know, getting more of an idea of the story of this game has me more intrigued about it. And so... Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. It's probably going to be a day one buy for me still, unless this demo ends up, like, really fucking up somehow. But I'm really enjoying it so far. So check it out if you haven't already. It is free on the eShop. Check out that demo. And for our last segment for this episode, we have questions. And this episode, I asked y'all, how do you feel about trophies slash achievements in games? Do you have any platinum trophies? If so, what was your favorite to obtain? And this was on my mind because I got that Astros Playroom Platinum. So I I was curious, you know, what do you guys think? And so let's get into your answers. Adam says, I don't get Platinums for most games, but I still enjoy trophies a lot. They help with motivation to play more of a game than I would have otherwise. And getting trophies is satisfying. I wish Nintendo would have an equivalent. My most rare Platinums are The Last of Us Part II, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, Deadly Premonition, and Rocket League. For whatever reason, Xbox achievements don't feel nearly as important to me, I guess because there's no Platinum equivalent. I got 100% of I achievements, though. PlayStation trophies are my favorite to get, for sure. Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything you're saying, Adam. I think Platinums and trophies in general can be a great way to discover more about a game that you want to discover more of. You know, you're not gonna... (laughs) 
get the platinum or kind of seek out trophies for a game that you're not enjoying. But, you know, if you finish a game and you're like, damn, I wish I could play more of this, that there was more to do, more secrets to uncover, I think looking at trophy list and getting some of those trophies is one of the best ways to go about that and really feel like you're getting the most of your time and, you know, just really enjoying that game to the best of your ability to get those trophies, I think is one of the best things about trophies. <laughs> and I mean, I'm not playing on Xbox, but like I played some games on Steam as well. And like Steam achievements feel like nothing to me. <laughs> like they don't hit the same. I do wish Nintendo had some sort of equivalent, but PlayStation trophies are for sure my favorite. And then V says, I don't get many Platinums myself because I'm kind of bad at games. I like the sense of accomplishment slash checking off a list. I would even say Platinums are a way to show how much you love a game, but I don't, th but I don't even think that's entirely accurate. Some of my most beloved games have weird trophies I have no idea how to unlock, and others with trophies I don't want to get. Cough, cough, bug snacks. That being said, I only have two Plats, and they're both rhythm games. LOL. It's a big W if I finish a game, you expect me to platinum it? Yikes. <laughs> and yeah, I, I do agree with that. I think getting platinums can be a great way to show you love a game, but it's not, um, that's not always the case. You know, I love Kingdom Hearts. The only Kingdom Hearts game that I have a platinum for is Melody of Memory, which is my least favorite in the series. <laughs> like, I would much rather have a platinum for Kingdom Hearts 2, but there's just some trophies in there where it's very demoralizing <laughs> to try and get them as someone that's like, not super good at that game. And similarly, I have some Platinums for games that aren't my favorites. I have the Platinum for Life is Strange Before the Storm, and, you know, I like that game for sure, but I like Kingdom Hearts 2 a hell of a lot more, you know what I'm saying? So it kind of goes both ways. Um, it's not, yeah, it's not always that accurate. Um, and also, a lot of my Platinums are like visual novels or rhythm games as well, like you were saying. And I think, I'm assuming your two Platinums, V, are also for Melody and Memory and Persona 4 Dancing All Night, which are two games I also have the Platinum for. Rhythm games are the best games to Platinum, usually. So, just, if you like rhythm games and you like trophies, be sure to look at the trophy list because if you're good at rhythm games, they're easy Platinums. But anyway... Sent Holy Zoo says, as a completionist, trophies are terrible but can be amazing. Like, as a developer, you want to dangle carrots for people to experience your game modes. The OG BlazBlue, BlazBlue, I can't remember how I say that. I think it's BlazBlue. Anyway, was a fun game to plan on for me because a lot of character-specific trophies existed by doing bizarre things. It was a puzzle to solve for each and every one. But Resident Evil Village has my most irksome missing achievement because the two I am missing are to get good in the unnecessary mercenary mode, which also unlocks a lightsaber and to complete an all-melee playthrough, which I haven't done because I don't have a lightsaber. So I'm incentivized to not play the game until I do something I don't enjoy. Good trophies are great and bad ones are painful. I agree with this so much. <laughs> like, I think, so one of my favorite Platinums that I've gotten is Tales of Arise. And this is, there's no trophies where you have to be on a certain difficulty level. There's no trophies where you have to replay the game. And there's no trophies that are, like, entirely irksome, right? But there are some trophy lists where it's like, oh my god, like, who is going to do this? <laughs> like, you wouldn't do this unless you, like, are really good at the game and really love the game. Or if you're just trying to get the trophies, right? And so, like, it really sucks <laughs> when you want to platinum a game 
then you look at the trophy list and you're like, oh, it wants me to play on like the hardest difficulty with like X, Y, and Z and do this extremely difficult thing. And I get it, you know, they want you to do as much as you can in the game. And a lot of times that is doing, you know, the more difficult things. But sometimes it's just so like, like, why are you doing this? (laughs) Like, I feel like I'm being punished for wanting to play more of your game because the trophies are so difficult or like so time consuming and just bleh. So there's really pros and cons and there's like certain things that make a good trophy list, right? Like I think, one, you know, one of the things I really love about the Tales of Rise trophy list is a lot of it is just, you know, doing a bunch of side quests, doing, you know, there's obviously main story stuff. Um, you know, there's stuff like that where it just makes sense, you know, unlock a certain amount of abilities or some shit like that. Um, you know, do some recipes, but then you see some trophy lists and it's like, why do you want me to play on the hardest difficulty and, you know, do these very specific things that are just, uh, anyway, good and bad trophy lists are for sure a thing and can make or break the experience of trying to get a platinum. It's like, okay, here's another, here's a good example. So let's say, let's take a rhythm game. Let's, let's take Persona Dancing All Night or let's take Melody and Memory. Those trophy lists, um, Melody Memory doesn't have a good trophy list for the most part, but the Persona games have a good trophy list. And imagine if a rhythm game had a trophy where you had to full combo or like all perfect every song on like the hardest difficulty. That would be insane. No one would do that, right? Like that doesn't make sense. And so a lot of rhythm games will just have, you know, maybe one trophy where it's like all perfect a song and it'll be like, you can do it on any difficulty, do it on the easiest difficulty. You can, you can like pretty easily accomplish that or, you know, complete all songs on the hardest difficulty, but maybe you don't have to full combo them. It's like, there's ways around it that can make you play the game in, um, you know, the best way possible, but also not make you sewer slidle. <laughs> anyway, that's my thoughts. And then Mila says, trophies and achievements can be really beneficial for visual novels as it helps track endings and is a good and is great for boosting profiles. That's why a lot of English speakers would import VNs from Japan purely for the platinums you can get even if you don't know the language. That's the only real time I really like trophies or achievements. Otherwise, it's a chore. Badly designed platinums can be such a chore. Exactly. Those badly designed platinums are the worst. And I've, I've, I've never really thought about this, how um, trophies can be useful for tracking, you know, your progress in a game as well. Um, for visual novels, I usually don't, I mean, I don't think I play as many visual novels as you, Mila, to be completely honest. But um, I've never thought of them as like tracking different endings. But I mean, it even helps if, you know, I'm playing like Kingdom Hearts or something and there's a trophy to, you know, do something. And I'm like, have I done that already on this save or something? Because, you know, you have that moment sometimes where you're like, I genuinely don't know if I've done this or not. And you can just look at the trophy and be like, oh, okay. So yeah, definitely tracking your progress through a game as well. And then Stevie says, well, you know me, I'm a little trophy addicted guy. Have around 110 platinums. My favorites would probably be Kingdom Hearts 1 through 3 and having almost every Resident Evil done. That is wild, Stevie. 110 platinums. I think I have, oh, I recently did that Twitter thread and I already can't remember how many platinums I have, but it's like in the double digits, the low double digits. It's like somewhere between 10 and 20 platinums that I have. 110 platinums. That is 
absolutely wild. I also love trophies, but I'm not good enough to get the Platinums in a lot of games. <laughs> And then Ryan says, I like them, but feel generally a lot of them are either lazily made or made on fun. Started the game. <laughs> I get publishers probably do this to track active players, but still kind of dumb. Same as do this one task 10 million times. Exactly. I, like, like we've kind of said already, it really depends on how the Platinum is designed. If it's, and that was my main problem with Melody and Memory, was that I had all the trophies just from, you know, doing all the content, essentially. Um, I'd played every song on all the different difficulties. I had done the story mode. I had, you know, done everything for the trophies for the Platinum, except for this one trophy that was, like, defeat. It was, like, 100,000 enemies or something. And so, at this point, I had got all of the skill-based um, and sort of completionist trophies. I just needed to defeat 100,000 enemies. And... At that point, I had defeated about 60,000. And so I had to play the game so much more just to get that last trophy. And that annoyed me so much. It, it almost ruined my experience with the entire game that I had, that I was like, I want this platinum. And now I have to play for this much longer. Even though I have every other trophy that is like skill-based, like I've done it all. I was so annoyed and so, yeah, do this task 10 million times. Miserable. <laughs> Miserable. And then Beep says, I don't really focus on them, but I think they're a good way to help learn about the game. And yes, so actually, recently I was doing the Platinum for the Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative, and most of those trophies are, like, pretty straightforward, you know? Collect all the eyeballs and levels, complete the Somnium under six minutes, um, you know, do the VR investigation segment right, right the first time, don't make any mistakes, stuff like that pretty straightforward. But then um, I got to a point where I was like, okay, let's take a look at the trophy list because I don't, I'm missing some trophies and I don't know how to get them. And there was one trophy and I won't spoil it, but it's something, you know, very specific in a certain Somnium that you have to do that like you probably wouldn't think to do if you were just playing the game normally. And, you know, it's just a fun little extra content thing that I wouldn't have known about otherwise. Um, and I really like stuff like that as well. And then Mona says, I like collecting them, but at the same time, I find quite a lot of lists ridiculous, especially when the main list enforce multiplayer trophies. As a DLC list, it's cool because it doesn't lock me out the platinum. Or when the trophies are very situational or luck-based because it just makes the game unfun. I think my favorite platinum is DMC5 just because even if, even if it was hard slash frustrating, it was still fun to do, at least for me. Yes, agree. Like, I don't play many multiplayer games or games with even a multiplayer mode, so I haven't run into that problem, but it sounds extremely frustrating <laughs> to be locked out of a platinum or a trophy just because you don't want to do multiplayer mode or, you know, in the cases of some older games where it's like the multiplayer servers are shut off, you can't even get that trophy anymore, but it's required for the platinum. That's some dumb shit right there. Then wind up Yuna says, I have 10 Platinums, but I only collect them for games I really love or if I'm close to completing the trophy list at the end of a playthrough. Otherwise, I don't care much. My favorite Platinum is probably Project Diva F Second. I hope I'm saying the name right. Love Rhythm Games or Tales of Berseria. There are also a handful of games I'm close to getting Platinum on, but never will. The Evil Within games comes to mind. Last trophy need is to complete on the hardest difficulty with only three saves. 
oof. Yeah. <laughs> Rhythm game trophies, like I said, those are, those are some of the best. And apparently Tales, the Tales games have good trophies. Because I really like the Tales of Arise trophy list. And if Tales of Berseria also has one, I'm assuming at this point that the Tales games just have good trophy lists. So, I mean, if you like Platinums, check out the Tales series. They won't make you want to kill yourself to get the Platinum. Anyway. But yeah, those really difficult trophies. Man. I think we can all agree that a lot of them are silly and just not worth it. <laughs> then Andre says, they're pretty cool. I love how they come up with funny names of achievements for doing X thing. Have very few plats, but if I really love a game, I go for it. Horizon Forbidden West was the last one. It was amazing exploring that beautiful world. Yes, I love when they have funny names. <laughs> um, actually, fun fact, if you've played Danganronpa, if you get the platinum for Danganronpa, Danganronpa 2, um, I think all the Danganronpa games maybe except one of them. It's either three or another episode. I can't remember. But the trophy names for the Platinums are all references to Zero Escape, in case you didn't know. I can't remember exactly what they call them. I think one of them might be like, uh, like nine bears. I don't know. It's some sort of nine blank, nine blank, nine blank, but it's like a Danganronpa. Words are replaced instead of, you know, anyway. <laughs> another thing that made me think of was, you don't get a trophy for this, but when you finish Final Fantasy XIV A Realm Reborn, all the patch quests, um, there's one moment after you finish all the cutscenes where you pop, like, an achievement just in the game, not um, on PSN or anything. And the name of it, I can't remember what it is, but I just remember I was streaming it, and, like, my jaw dropped because it was, like, it was plot relevant, but I was like, wow, they really said that. It was, anyway, Final Fantasy XIV has some good ones uh, when it comes to naming them. <laughs> and then Jay says, to be honest, I actually don't care about them at all. I am somewhat of a completionist, but I tend to try name for an in-game 100% and usually don't concern myself with trophies. I don't often have a desire to do a second playthrough on hard or a super challenge for a trophy. I think my only platinum is Virtue's Last Reward, and you get that just by doing all the endings plus the secret epilogue. So yeah, kind of a completionist, but definitely not an achievement or trophy hunter. I have to draw the line somewhere to save my sanity. That, that's a mood. That's a mood for sure. Then Pigfilth1 says, I really don't care about them. I don't even understand the point of them, but I get people enjoy them and all that, and there's nothing wrong about that. And of course, so I think the general consensus is that most of us enjoy trophies for what they are, but we're probably not gonna go out of our way to really get them unless it's a game we really love or one that we really want to spend more time with. And so just to kind of talk about trophies a little bit, um, my first platinum was Danganronpa Trick or Happy Havoc, and that was a platinum where most of it was fine, but then um, the last trophy I had to get was to get, like, every item from the Mono Mono machine. And that was really time-consuming because I was, like, redoing a lot of the class trials to get more Mono Coins and then put them in the machine. And so that was... Oh, uh, I wouldn't do that now. But I did it when I was, like, Danganronpa-obsessed as a teenager. And then the most recent Platinum was Astro's Playroom and I Sonic Files Nirvana Initiative. A lot of the Platinums I do get are like story-based games where it's like Life is Strange, visual novels, stuff like that, or rhythm games. Those are the ones that I really tend to Platinum. And then a few JRPGs like Tales of Arise or Final Fantasy XV. And I like, I really like trophies. <laughs> I can't lie. Uh, if you've seen me stream before and I'm playing a game for the first time and I pop a trophy, I get very happy. It's like, it's like instant dopamine. It's fantastic. Kind of like how I think it was V said earlier, when you're like checking off a list, it just feels really good. <laughs> 
And so, yeah, I really like trophies, and it, it just sucks, because sometimes, like, there's some games, um, like Yakuza, I really love Yakuza, I want to put as much time as I can into, like, Yakuza 0, really love those games, but some of the trophies are, like, so insanely difficult, where it's, like, played on the hardest difficulty, or, um, they have a lot of mini games in the Yakuza series, um, so some of them are just completely not for me, and, but there's, you know, trophies around them, and so that can be really difficult, and so, you know, I'll get all the trophies for, like, doing all the side quests, or, you know, doing all the stuff with the cabaret club, <laughs> but I can't platinum it, so, but it still incentivizes me to play more, that I can get those trophies for completing the cabaret club, or completing all the side quests, it's still an incentive, even if I'm not going for the platinum, if I can just get a few more trophies, that's something I will enjoy. And that's something I probably do with most games that I really enjoy is I will initially be like, okay, let's try and get the platinum. And then I'll try and then I'll see like a trophy or two where I'm like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> but it still incentivizes me to play the game more. And that's really been kind of my experience with the Kingdom Hearts series as well, where, you know, there's a few trophies where I'm like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> But I'm still incentivized to play more, you know, to get Sora to level 99 or, you know, try and do some of the data battles or complete the synthesis stuff. You know, there's stuff like that where even if you don't get the platinum, it's still incentivizing you to play more. And another interesting thing I just want to bring up before I kind of wrap it up. Um, Persona 5 is a platinum where I don't know if you need to do two playthroughs, but I want to say you do. And it's just trying to platinum a Persona game can be quite difficult because it's very specific in certain ways. Like, you need to do this, this, and this on X date. And, you know, you're, you have that time constraint, which makes things a lot more difficult. But Persona 5 Royal was a platinum that I really enjoyed because it didn't focus on, you know, the same stuff that the Persona 5 platinum focused on. Um, where it was, like, finish... Um, what do they call it? The compendium? The Persona compendium? That's not what they call it. I don't know, but, like, you know, get all the personas and all that shit, um, that's, like, one of those, uh, trophies that's in pretty much every Persona game, um, but Persona 5 Royal didn't have that because the trophies were more, fo were more focused on the Royal exclusive content, and so a lot of the trophies were just, like, go to this area that's exclusive to, uh, Royal and, like, do some stuff there, um, obviously you have, like, main story stuff, but a lot of the trophies are just focused on the new content, and so it's such an easier platinum to get. Um, it's also more enjoyable because, like, if you already got the Persona 5 Platinum, it, like, imagine having to do all that again for Royal. It'd be miserable. At least that was my Royal experience and I didn't even get the Platinum. I was just replaying it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think there's pros and cons to trophies and Platinums. And of course, there are, like, achievements on other platforms like Xbox or Steam, um, but they just don't hit the same, I think, for a lot of people. And I do wish Nintendo had something like that because, you know, I think of games like Mario Odyssey or Breath of the Wild where I really, really adore them. Even Animal Crossing, I really adore all those games. But, and I'm incentivized, you know, I go back and I put a lot of time, um, especially into Animal Crossing and Breath of the Wild, but there's still so much I haven't done or that maybe I haven't discovered that if I could get a little reward for it... <laughs> to put on my, like, Nintendo, like, profile, um, I, I would play, I'd put more time into those games, <laughs> which, I mean, I know it's probably not the best mindset to have of, like, wanting to play in, in more of a game just for trophies, 
but it definitely helps. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't know. It helps, for sure. Because <laughs> I still went back, even after finishing Breath of the Wild and Mario Odyssey, I still went back and I put, you know, hours more time into those games because I really enjoyed them and I wanted to get more out of them. But sometimes I wonder, like, if there's a trophy list to do, like, a specific thing or to, like, collect a certain, you know, had I, would I have played it more? Would I have discovered more things about that game? Would I have enjoyed my time? Would I have gotten a better experience? And I'm like, well, probably. You know, maybe I would have gotten burnt out on it as well <laughs> from trying to get everything. But, you know, I think, like I said earlier, it's an incentive to keep doing shit. And I really like that and checking off a list and getting that dopamine boost when a trophy pops. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for listening to the Luna's Galaxy podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'll be back on Tuesday, September 27th for the next episode where we'll be discussing who knows what. If you want to be a part of the Luna's Galaxy community, you can join our Discord server, link in the description. You can also keep up with me on Twitter, Instagram, or Twitch where I'm at Games. And now you can also support me on Patreon. I hope you all have a wonderful day and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.